Sysdig is the first cloud-native visibility and security platform that eliminates the need for standalone tools like container security and monitoring. Using Sysdig's unique data approach, enterprises can solve a variety of visibility and security issues at massive enterprise scale for multi- and hybrid cloud environments. Sysdig will enable your organization to scan and block vulnerable images and enforce best practices pre-production, block threats, enforce compliance, and monitor application performance, proactively alert on incidents, reduce MTTR with forensics, and capture detailed audit records, all from a single unified platform. Accelerate your transition to containers and then have confidence in your ongoing operations using Sysdig. To learn more, visit securityweekly.com forward slash Sysdig. Welcome back to Application Security Weekly. I'm your host, Mike Shima, joined by John Kinsella. Some hey. of you told us, hey John. Some of you told us that you are overwhelmed by the amount of content we distribute. In an attempt to make it a little easier for you to find what you're interested in, we've created our new listener interest list. Sign up for the list and select your interest by visiting securityweekly.com slash subscribe and clicking the button to join the list. You can also now submit your suggestion for guests in our recently released guest suggestion form. Go to securityweekly.com guests and enter your suggestions. Security Weekly will be at Hacker Halted in Atlanta, Georgia this October 10th and 11th. EC Council is offering our listeners a 15% discount to sit for any of their bootcamp courses or workshops. Visit securityweekly.com slash Hacker Halted to register now. Well, John, I can tell you're eager to dive in. It's been two weeks since our uh, last set of news, and uh, I don't think AppSec took any time off in, in that time. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a busy few weeks, huh? Um, I'm not sure if we do we manage to find another directory of traversal. No, but we have some other things that are near and dear to my heart that are close to like race conditions and getting into out of a out of a container into a host operating system. So I think this was the one that is a uh, duo found something for Docker. Yeah. And this was. So, um, yeah, so I'll say that I like this because it was at race condition. So that talk to that time of check time of use, which is another one of my favorite volumes because it's also kind of rare, but pretty interesting. But um, I think you have some ideas or some opinions around this. What are your thoughts on this particular volume? I might, I might have one or two. So I think what's really interesting about this is, yeah, the, the talk tos are hard to do. Um, it, it, you know, theoretically, they're very, uh, um, you're able to, you know, they're theoretically possible. But usually, if you're doing a code review or this has been brought up to someone as something you might want to consider, uh, usually very quickly get a hand wave, but that's something that, you know, it's really difficult to actually reproduce in the real world. Um, where, well, our, our buddies here sort of showed that wasn't quite the case in this particular case. So um, yeah, what they're doing really, uh, for those who haven't looked at this closely, um, when you run Docker CP to copy a file out of a Docker container, that actually goes and they, they create a context, they create a symlink uh, at the Docker, uh, the Docker runtime um, outside of the container. And there's a split second in time when that is being set up and change ownership, that if you happen to be banging on that particular path within a container, that you will get uh, um, actually a link out to the host. So that's a, um, a container breakout, right? Which is a bad thing. And, and we keep saying, hey, you know, containers are fairly new. So you're gonna have to expect this type of thing coming. And this is why I was just talking in the last segment that folks that actually really care about are, are, are really, really care about security 
um, and can't take that flexibility. Our, the flexibility of a container is not, um, how would I say, uh, attractive enough. They're still going to be using a virtual machine. It might be a container within a VM. But yeah, the, 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 really the problem with this one to me, uh, again, like, I, you know, it's, I, there's folks over, lots of folks at Docker that I really know and, and I respect, but this is something that was first reported a year ago. Um, and it, what caught my attention, like, you know, as we've talked before, when I see a new vulnerability come out, I sort of, how I, how I look at it and how do I see what's going on and what caught my eye on this one, CVE 2018. Hang on a second, we're halfway through uh, 2019. Why are we getting a new CVE with a 2018 date? Oh, that's because people have known about right. this for a while. So that was um, unfortunate. Uh, and I understand it's not an easy thing to fix. Uh, same time, if you look, I went over and I, I was yapping with some of the Kubernetes folks, and I'm like, uh, turns out that this is completely not a problem there. They're not using the uh, the runtime to do this copy. They actually have a different way of actually copying the files out. So um, there's always a way around it. And at least, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of full disclosure. I've always have been. It's like, at least let people know there's something there. Uh, and it's harder to do, I get, in a startup where, you know, you've, you've got the VCs going after you or not going after you, trying to support you. They will be going after you if you if you uh, get your name in the wrong way too many times. By the by the way, there's been a change of CEO at Docker, um, and so there's there's some things going on there, right? And I, I get that, but still, it's it's a little. I wish they had been um, a little earlier to announce this. Yeah, I think what what stands out for me on, on the this t specific Vaughn, um, as well as some others, is just trying to also look at it from a uh, all. Lack of a better term, like a real-world threat model, like how risky is this? Or in this, rather than just saying how risky, being try to be more clear about questions like what would it take for someone to exploit this, and do we have any mitigating controls? Do we think that this is feasible, or do we think somebody with the like the 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 level of access to pull this one particular vuln off can do something else completely as well? Yeah, and it's it's. It's really quickly on that one. It, it's it, you're spot on. It's um, when I was doing code review and pen test. It's well, pen test a little cleaner, but especially on the code review side, and you're like, oh, line sixty four, that's going to be tricky for you, right? It's one thing to put that into a report, but occasionally customers would sort of push back and go, I, I'm not too sure about that. Can you show me? It's like, oh, okay, now I have to actually code an exploit or show how this possibly could be done. Um, and yeah, that, that's what people should be doing. You can't take everything at face value and, and go and chasing tails, trying to repair this type of stuff. But, um, and what sort of, uh, um, made this one escape out is I think it was Suse had some, uh, uh, sample exploit code in part of their, uh, patch report. So now there's actual code out in the wild and that's what sort of got people going, okay, we got to launch on this, but yeah, no, it's the right way to think about it. Yeah. And I think. Um, my tangent, speaking of pen tests, is that often there's, um, you know, talk about threat models, self-XSS. So that's often a difficult one to actually say what is the actual impact there. But I always look at it to say cross-site scripting, it should be fixed. The data wasn't being escaped and the output wasn't being handled correctly. So go and fix it. But I did, to go on a, a minor rant, I did have a recently reviewed a pen test where we were recommended to um, not use robots.txt because developers might put something sensitive in there, and um, which is a little bit infantilizing of developers. I don't think they're actually all 
stupid or even the large majority of them that stupid. And another one was sort of to your point like that, hey, look here at line 63, we got a report, uh, one of the findings was there are 80 bits of entropy, although they didn't say it this way, they said you have a random number and a user ID. This should be all random, but so it can't be predictable. But it was actually 80 bits of randomness there plus a user ID. So one of the questions was exactly what is there to fix here and should we do, you know, it, from your perspective, is 81 bits that much better now than 80? So I it's like it reminds, that's a minor rant. It, yeah. it reminds me of the standard, the password complexity stuff, right? You know, it's, um, I, th I think we've <laughs> talked about this in the past, but like if, if your password's long enough, it doesn't matter too much if you have that, you know, the upper lowercase and the dash and the, the, the number one in there as well. But yeah, it's, um, some, I, I would expect a little, but that would definitely give me a giggle, giggle on a pen test. Something that's actually, and you know, I'm disclosure on here. I don't think we've talked about it. When I say penetration test, I'm talking about a penetration test, not the point and click stuff, which you get from some some people out there. But that's something that's going through a human, so I'd expect them to have a little more sort of, uh, hey, is this something the way I really want this setup or not? Or, or is this is this combo we should be making, or maybe we should left that out of the report? But yeah, it's they still escape through every now and then. Yeah, yeah, they still escape through. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. Um, let, let's use that to also talk about, um, you know, speaking of threat models and how would we, you know, approach an engineering scenario or here's a feature that has problems. Um, Google Cloud had a problem with their uh, G Suite enterprise accounts where they indicated they were storing back or they were storing plain text passwords as far mm -hmm. back as uh, 2005. Um, now, in the interest kind of to to your point a little bit earlier about disclosure, they were they disclosed this. They let people know that was going on. They also explained that, you know, passwords were probably only being exposed in this manner for about 14 days, just in the way their systems and logging was working. And they explained why this existed. So this was existed initially to, you know, here's a functionality that users are asking for. And they want to be able to onboard a new person. So how do you do that sort of trust on first use? How do you get that initial, you know, share the password with somebody so they can start using their G Suite account? And it just so happens that in addressing this particular feature, they made this accident with this mistake where they were actually saving off plain text passwords. And this is, um, it's the tough part of a full disclosure, right? Because this is, this is a step. Perfect example for the stand, standard use case why when people are our standard argument when people say that FD is not a great idea uh, and this this is because this is a, a retail thing right and it lands on the front page of the paper everyone mm -hmm. gets all sort of scared and worried and it's like oh, dude it was in a log file I mean that's you know I think in an enterprise setting that wouldn't have uh, um, had quite the response that this one did but um, and that's the thing how do you how do you disclose to someone who is at a a less sophisticated level. Um, and that's pretty tough to do. It is. And I think because we saw this because uh, Twitter started this, or at least as, as I noticed around like basically logging of passwords two years ago, maybe it was um, when they, you know, they did another disclosure saying, oh, look, we accidentally logged a bunch of passwords. Um, and to my mind, it is a sign of sophistication that you can come forth you know, disclose that type. I don't know that we necessarily would call it a breach. Maybe we can, that, that's more the, the legal aspect, but is, you know, a mishandling at the very least. But to mm -hmm. say, here's some logging, 
every application needs logging of some sort um, because just like we were talking about in the previous segment, how do we, how else can we debug what our applications are doing? We really want to know what's going on with them. Um, logging helps. Obviously, logging sensitive things like passwords or if we get into like PII, other sensitive data, those are probably not ideal. But if you have those logs, if you can detect it, react, and I think what's kind of missing sort of what you were saying too, um, if you know, paste, you know, readers, people who see that they don't necessarily can appreciate if you have strong logging of the logs, let's say, or access controls, or you have a strong incident response capability, you can check to a relatively high degree that indicates, you know, it doesn't look like this was accessed by anyone who was not one of the DevOps people that's actually on the team responsible for this. Sure, maybe there's a malicious insider, maybe there are stolen credentials. So we'll we'll acknowledge that, but let's set aside that for a second and just say, we can say with confidence, it doesn't look like it was misused. Confidence isn't 100%, but it's a pretty good indicator. And I think this just ultimately speaks well to the idea of disclosure being a good thing, um, mm -hmm. as much in the sense of here's the lessons learned for even if the big companies with massive multi-million dollar security budgets and security personnel on the order of hundreds rather than you know a dozen if they can make mistakes everybody's going to be making mistakes and i think it's um you know not we're beating this horse pretty well but one last from me on it i think there's also a really good learning point here sort of what you're just saying but specifically to um i'll say junior developers right? it could be it could be the intermediate or seniors but hey you know when you find something wrong don't don't try to shove it underneath the, the carpet. At least, you know, make sure the people inside the organization know and then let them have that conversation about, okay, do we disclose or not? Um, but, you know, it's, I've, there's a few organizations I've seen recently that have this very sort of, oh, don't tell the boss, you know, then, we'll, then they'll get in trouble. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, you have to have that level of, of trust. And I mean, the same energy out there listening to us as well, right? You know, when your people come and say something to you, you know, this sort of management 101, but just to reiterate, don't, don't don't be mean to the guys. Let you know, encourage. Thanks for telling me. Let's take care of us. How do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Um, and it's I think that's even more important in an infosec point of view than than it can be in others. Yeah, if the if the first instinct is to blame the messenger, then you've you've already started off on the wrong foot, and it just means yeah. that. Problems aren't going to get surfaced. They're not going to be fixed. They're not going, you know, those systemic causes aren't going to be um, found or, or addressed. Mm -hmm. Which, speaking of systemic causes, um, let's talk about GitHub again, because GitHub is doing fantastic things about, you know, obviously they're where developers work, but they're actually making, I think, developers' lives a lot easier. They started out with, you know, just for the just for the fact of hosting repos and helping to have clicking, um, you know, point and click be able to merge because for the life of me, I will never remember more than two Git commands off the top of my head and the syntax correctly. But in this case, um, they have some really cool security announcements. One is this dependency insight. So they can, will say, hey, you have some third-party open source libraries, some Ruby gems, some NPM, you know, some modules that have some known vaults in it. You should probably fix them. Now they even have their, their uh, Dependabot that will send you a pull request that says, hey, by the way, if you just merge this and your tests go fine, 
go for it. You know, we fix, we, we can update this for you. Um, let's just have a human in the loop just to make sure things don't go wonky. But um, this looks to me like a very small, but very meaningful, very useful type of feature. Yeah, it's it's solving what I refer to as the, the now what problem, right? You know, it's one thing to tell me that I've got a vulnerability. Okay, what do I do about that? Uh, I bet this is going to make some startups unhappy out there, though. There's a, a few players in that space that were, you know, they've been doing this type of thing for, for free. So um, good on GitHub. I, I hope it, it doesn't um, get the other folks to uh, lose too much sleep. Yeah, and it looks like, and I, you know, it looks like too. Microsoft is definitely has a, a great stewardship of this between um, GitHub continuing to roll out features like this and moving into, um, you know, great IDE types of plugins. Yeah, one last one on there. Um, I can't remember if we talked about it on here. GitHub also announced uh, they're now going to start doing image repositories. Um, mm. People might be used to thinking of that as Docker Hub. By the way, did I mention the CEO's gone? <laughs> um, so there's, it's, it's, and yeah, all this stuff is happening over at GitHub and, and guys, remember this is Microsoft, uh, you know, I'll, I'll riff on this for, give me 10 seconds. Uh, Visual Studio Code came out. It has a Kubernetes plugin. Well, Visual Studio Code has been out, but it has this Kubernetes plugin just hit version 1.0. You can point and click and, and monitor your, your Kubernetes cluster from within your IDE for free. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's impressive. Continues to be impressive what Microsoft's been doing for the last few years. It is really cool. And I think switching to on, on the topic of Microsoft, there were um, two other things that I, that I called out um, uh, related to fuzzing. One was this um, memory ranger. So this, this was a project that was uh, presented at Black Hat 2018, Black Hat EU 2018, and then updated most at a, another conference um, this year. But it's basically it's it's great content if you want to learn more about modern attacks against Windows kernel drivers, how they'd be compromised, how you know what that what the security model looks like for them, as well as it provides some demonstrates some ways that you could sandbox or isolate them using the hypervisor. So using CPU features um, to protect those drivers, because even way back to Windows NT4. The um, you know the video card was operating in ring zero, and that was one of the great sources of your blue screen of death, as well as you know when things are operating in ring zero, when they're drivers and drivers aren't always you know the highest quality software, great place for exploits as well. It was a source for lots of fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. I could hear you trying to restrain yourself on the, on the, the laughter, the fun there. Yeah. Clearly, it, it was, especially for me, you know, th th those types of flaws kept my early consulting years uh, it, with a very good success rate off of just one, you know, just a very small handful of vulnerabilities. So throw out a thought out there, what this one makes me think of is um, there's some pretty good folks out there doing work in memory forensics. Might be interesting to have them add them to the list of people we want, might want to reach out to in the pod in the future. Oh, yeah, definitely interesting. And um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll come back to that in a second, because I also wanted to talk about here, speaking of fuzzing, there was also um, a razor tool that um, came across my radar that was specific to data races in the Linux kernel. And 
it's built off of um, a project also out that, that was um, came out of Google, Google called SysColor um, that was just a more generic um, uh, Linux kernel syscall uh, fuzzer. Um, this particular one, Razer, um, was had some refinements to it, taking advantage of the LLVM tool chain, which is going to continue to come up as one of my uh, uh, callbacks, one of my favorite tools out there. And it's just really neat the way it's focusing on this one particular type of vulnerability. And you can see on the repo has a list of a couple really nice use after free, null pointer DREFs, um, just finding a bunch of vulns. And we could talk about whether or not those may have been directly exploitable. You know, you go back to kind of the beginning of this conversation, but fixing a flaw is improving code quality. So that's never a bad thing I'm going to say in my book. What I think is really neat about these is um, these fuzzers coming out, especially the kernel ones, because uh, <laughs> well, let's be straight, you know, A, a lot of us aren't going to use these. B, uh, even fewer are going to be able to write them. But the fact that these are out there and open easy for someone to grab that tool and start working with allows finding these type of issues that much easier. That's really the important part about this to me. So instead of uh, an O-Day hiding, you know, underneath the, the covers for six, 12 months or longer, um, people have the ability to stress these components uh, in a kernel that much more uh, and, and get those things taken care of sooner, hopefully. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we saw that, you know, having that community focus where the skills are to be able to write the fuzzers as well as run and interpret the results of them. Um, that was where we talked a while back about Microsoft Azure and um, they yep. are having fuzzer in the cloud. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked a little bit about AFL. And you know, there's some projects around that, just running it in the cloud, and even just being able to spin up having having access to a cloud, so you can run thousand instances, you know, of Image Magic or Ghost Script, or you know, pick on whatever you know uh, video codec you want to go play with, or um, things like that. Just having access to that um, type of infrastructure is really actually great for hobbyists, so they can be part of the community and finding these effectively and then helping us secure all of the code. And I think that sort of also there was one other thing that this is pretty small, but that, that I also wanted to highlight um, Autodesk. Um, they open sourced or, or put onto their repo just with what they're calling continuous threat modeling. Um, I don't know, it, it's more of documentation about threat modeling itself and it just sort of a philosophy of threat modeling rather than, um, I'm not quite sure what the continuous aspect on it is other than you should be doing threat modeling. But I did want to highlight that because if I did have a wish list, it's that I don't know that we have enough good resources for talking about threat modeling and being able to track the data of it. So I know Adam Shostak does some great work about it, has some great books. You know, there's that whole history of Microsoft and Stride and Dread. But I don't know if there's any projects that are actually in, in a good way of nomenclature, categorization that everyone, I say everyone, I'm not sure exactly who everyone means, but just when we say, what's the difference between this self-XSS? How do we talk about this uh, 80 bits of entropy that is probably sufficient for most situations? Or even when you're talking about like um, this race condition in, you know, that the Duo found with uh, in Docker containers. Those are all tied back to threat modeling and what are you building? What could go wrong 
what are we going to do about it? And so it's just sort of if I did have a soapbox for this um, this particular episode, it would be more resources for threat bottling would, would be it. And I think the important part thing there, because I think OWASP has a project around threat modeling, don't they? But I think one of the one the thing that's important there to me on that is um, making it usable by the developers. So I'm I'm scrolling through here on the um, if folks go to that GitHub repo for the Autodesk project, um, the README itself is um, not as uh, uh, how will I say? It doesn't really give the value of the depth of what's going on in there. There's a few markdown files I'm looking at. There's a secure developer secure developer checklist. That's actually pretty cool. Um, a little long, but uh, it actually walks through each stage in development and actually the things you should be checking for. Um, so I think that's something that's pretty easily consumable. And, and yeah, these are really great things to have out there. Yeah, I think and this would be a great topic um, for, for an upcoming episode is talk about this, tie it into um, OWASP did update four, to 4.0, their application security verification standard, as well as they do have some, they, they do have, for example, a cloud threat modeling project that sort of has a, if, if this is the situation, when this happens, then this should happen unless something else happens. And it's sort of a way to, to be developer friendly in terms of writing documentation that can be um, turned into code that essentially is describing particular threat models. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll dig that out and that will be, a, I think, a fun topic for the future. Um, so I think, so that, that went through my list, John. Anything else you wanted to um, touch on? I think that just sort of the, the the big one for me for the last week or two was the the Docker issues. Um, yeah, I, I think we've over the last uh, this the, the talks we've had today. I think we've we've thought up a bunch of really interesting things to to bring back in the future and dig into deeper. Yeah, I think so, and that'll be good because we'll definitely dive into some um, some memory forensics. I think we got to get somebody on here to talk about fuzzing as well because that's a really fun topic. And um, the good thing is that we're not going to take another two weeks off. And I want to, we'll be back next week. So I want to say thank you, John, for this conversation. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we are going to see you next week on Application Security Weekly.